Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. It is Genesis chapter 2, where we want to begin Q&A night. And in fact, we'll be in the book of Genesis for uh, the majority of our time together this evening. And so let's get those Bibles out, get them turned over to the book of Genesis, and let's be ready to study together for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody this evening. I hope that you've had a, a pleasant afternoon, enjoyable afternoon. Maybe you was able to enjoy in some way this way too warm for February kind of weather. I I don't want to complain uh, about that, but I'm, I'm missing the cold weather. I want that in February. But it's been a good day of worship here at Lakeside, and it's just a joy to get to be here again tonight and blend our voices together and sing all these just wonderful songs that uh, make us long to want to be in heaven someday and get to sing about the dumb brother and uh, all those all those great songs uh, that encourage us and teach us and help us to be more of what, what the Lord wants us to be. I hope we'll talk about some things tonight uh, for the next few minutes that uh, will be instructive and helpful for us in various ways. I've got three questions this evening that have been submitted to me, as is usually the case, by just a variety of different folks. And all three of the questions this evening circle around kind of the, the general theme of marriages in the Bible, particularly talking about Bible kinds of marriages. And I did think that tonight was going to be the perfect chance to, to kind of bang these questions out. A couple of these I've actually kind of had on my Rolodex for quite some time now, but kind of use it as a way of dovetailing off of this morning's sermon about marriage. And as we do that this evening, I do intend, I'm going to go ahead and promise you, I'm going to refund some of those minutes that I stole from you this morning. I do intend to be somewhat brief tonight, and these questions lend themselves well, at least the second and third ones do, uh, to some very pointed and direct kinds of responses. So let's talk about some questions pertaining to marriage in the Bible, and that is going to begin in Genesis, the second chapter, with what may end up sounding to you more like a question about creation, but as we look at the answer to the question, I think you're going to see why it's more of a marriage question, and the question is this... Why was Eve created from a rib? Why did God choose to use a rib out of Adam to create Eve? Let's just read that account in Genesis chapter 2. Read part of this this morning. I want to get kind of the greater context uh, this evening. In Genesis chapter 2, back up to verse 18. In Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. So why did God take a rib out of Adam and use that to create Eve? Now, growing up, I always heard, always heard people talk about how men have one less rib than women. And it all stems right back to Genesis chapter 2 because God took that rib out of Adam and so every other man who's ever came along since then, they all have one less rib. And of course, back when I was a youngster, we didn't have the benefit of cell phones where I could just Google an answer or Wikipedia an answer and get an immediate answer to those kinds of questions. And so I grew up actually believing that men had one less rib than women. However, spoiler alert, that's not true. Men and women both have, I counted, 
Twelve ribs. They connect in your back at the spine, and they connect at the front at the sternum. They provide, of course, kind of a, a cage, if you will, to some very vital and important organs like your heart and your lungs. Short and sweet, you need your ribs. And so we're left wondering, why would God take one of those away? Why would God take one of Adam's ribs out in the creation of Eve? Well, you have probably heard throughout your lifetime, if you've been going to church for any real period of time, you've probably heard preachers point out, maybe use this point in a, in a marriage sermon, that Eve was taken from Adam's side. Not from his feet, that he might trample all over her, and not from his head, that she might have dominion over him. But instead, as a bone from his side, so that they may stand side by side and work together. And while I will candidly admit that preaches pretty good, that, that sounds really good, I think I've even probably used that, that idea before in a lesson, I'm not exactly sure that that really answers this question. The answer to this question, I believe, comes in, in a couple of different directions. First of all, maybe as we think about this in a very practical kind of way, I did not know this until I was preparing for this lesson this evening, but did you know this? You can actually grow a rib back. I didn't know that. It is the only bone in your body that can actually grow back. We've got some medical professionals here in our number, and I'm going to guess some of them might be able to vouch for that and can probably explain that a little better. I read lots of stuff, but much of that stuff was just kind of way over my head. I did get the gist, though, that a rib can grow back. You can really grow that bone back. And I think that that might just kind of provide a practical medical explanation for why God chose a rib instead of, say, a bone in Adam's leg. If he took a bone out of Adam's leg, Adam would be you know, limping around for all the remainder of his days upon this earth. But it may very well be that God saw fit that Adam would not go the rest of his life limping and he would not go the rest of his life ribless because it may well be that that rib actually ended up just growing back. Secondly, though, in a different direction as we think about this question, and probably a more important answer to this question, I believe the rib symbolizes in many ways who the woman is. I think it's important for us to note here that unlike all of the other living creatures that the Bible describes here in the Genesis account, have you ever thought about the fact that Eve, unlike all of the other parts of of living creatures, Eve was not formed out of the dust of the ground. Just back up there in Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 7. Let's get that again about Adam. In Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That's how Adam was created. Adam was created out of the dirt. Then we come along to verse 19, which we read just a few moments ago, where it says that all of the, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, those living creatures, they too were formed out of the dust of the ground. Then when we get down to verse 21, when it talks about the creation of Eve, logically, we just kind of expect it's going to say the same thing. That Eve as well was created from the dust of the ground. But verse 21 doesn't say that Eve was created out of the dust. It says instead that the woman was made, she was made out of the man. And I believe that in a very real way, I think that helps us to see that God used part of Adam to make Eve to show that these are two halves to a whole. This one flesh, this one unit that they would be. That she was not made 
independently and separately over here out of the ground like Adam was. You know, here's a different lump of dirt that we're going to make Eve out of. No, instead, she was formed from him. In fact, that explains Adam's response in verse 23. Verse 23, the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God used a rib to show Adam that she's made out of the same stuff that you're made up of. I made her out of out of you. And just as sure as she was made for or from Adam, she as well was made for Adam. She was made for the man to strengthen him, to assist him, and to help him. In fact, what this does is this gives me an opportunity to say a word or two here about a common phrase that gets connected here with the Genesis account. The term that is often heard is help me. Help me. Sometimes you'll hear that that, that kind of phrasing used that a woman needs to be a a help me for her husband. And if you're wondering where does that word come from, it kind of sounds like a compound word, help me. Well, that comes from the old King James Bible. That's a King James-ism. It is a term from the King James Bible, and sometimes those phrases that we use, they get so well-worn and become just so familiar to us. We use them so repetitively that we just kind of run those words all together, and we make just kind of one big long word out of them. I think about that phrase, lay by in store. We've kind of made that into just one big long word, no spaces in between. We're going to lay by in store here. We don't even really know what that's even talking about. And I think that's sometimes how that phrase, help me, in verse 18 is used. And it's evolved into just this one word. She's a helpmeet for him. But it's important for us to think it's not just one word. The term meat that's used there in verse 18, it means befitting. It means suitable. It means that she is right for him. The ESV that I'm reading from, it uses the word fit. This woman is fit to be a helper for him. You know, maybe, I don't know, 500 years from now, maybe people will be talking about a, a helper fit. She was a helper fit for him. Kind of make that into one of those big long words. Now, I'm afraid, though, that when we kind of use that word all together, a help me, we end up kind of seeing some of the nuances and the, the flavor of this passage. Because the idea here is that Eve, she is right for him. She is suitable to be his helper. And the term that's used here that's translated helper or help your Bible might use, you should know that that is a term that is often used in the Bible to describe God and what God does. In fact, in the Bible, that term help or helper, it's used more often in connection with God than it is with human beings. Can I show you just one example of that? Hold your place in Genesis. Look in Psalm 121. In Psalm 121, this will be the only time I ask you to jump out of Genesis. In Psalm 121... And in verse 1, this is uh, one of the very well-known of the Psalms, the first couple of verses at least. In Psalm 121 and verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That word help there is the same Hebrew word that is translated help or helper back in Genesis chapter 2. That God, to the psalmist, God was going to be a help. In the very same way that the woman is going to be a help to the man. And I point that out because I'm afraid that when we kind of use that phrase, help me, in some people's minds, what that comes to mean is that, well, that Eve or the woman, the wife, 
She's going to kind of be the maid around the house. She's going to cook dinner. She's going to do Adam's laundry. You know, got to make sure we get the fig leaves washed. Going to make sure we get all that done. All the things that go along with cleaning up and tidying and doing stuff around the house. But you know what? That is absolutely not what Genesis chapter 2 is talking about. When you think about God being your help, is that the image that comes to your mind? That God's going to clean up after you? God's going to pick up and you know, wash your dirty dishes and do all that? Is, that? is that what we think about when it says God is our help? No. God helps us by supplying to us what we lack and what we need. And I believe that that is what the Lord is saying as you turn back to Genesis chapter 2, that this woman, this woman who is made out of you, Adam, she is fit and she is suitable to provide for you what you lack. And I do believe that that is the main reason that God used a rib to create woman so that she would be a suitable helper from Him and for Him as the husband and wife. They go together throughout the various uneven journeys of life. That's a point, and that's a point of application that we need to understand and recognize in the husband-wife relationship even today. Glad that question was asked, because in many ways it helps to kind of complement some of the things that we talked about in this morning's lesson. Now, that was the more involved of the three questions this evening. I'm going to bang out these next two questions, I think probably in some record time. If you'll turn back to Genesis uh, now, look at chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, so we continue thinking about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of course, had some children. They had a couple of sons who famously got into kind of a quarrel, or at least it was a one-sided quarrel, and one of those sons ended up killing the other son. And in Genesis chapter 4, we're told about the fallout of Cain murdering his brother, and how Cain ends up kind of fleeing, almost like a fugitive. We then read in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 17 now. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Stop right there. The question that's drawn from this passage, which is a question that gets asked a lot, is the question, just who was this woman? Who was Cain's wife? And furthermore, where'd she come from? Who is this lady? It seems like she just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Now I should tell you, this question does get asked a lot today, and many times it's asked by Bible critics. They think this is one of those just, it's an unanswerable question, it kind of poses some real problems for Christians, and there's just kind of no way out of it whatsoever. In this particular case, I'll tell you that the person who asked this question for tonight, it was asked from a very sincere heart. It's a person who was just simply reading their Bible, they were doing their Bible reading, they were just you know connecting some dots, putting two and two together, and it caused them to scratch their head, because they genuinely wanted to know, hey, do we know anything about who Mrs. Cain is? Now, some have used this mystery of Cain's wife to argue that maybe there was a, there was a, maybe a race of people that was already on planet Earth before Adam and Eve. That there was this other race of people and how they explain how those people got here, evolution and other kinds of ideas are suggested. Some have even suggested, actually I was kind of surprised, I was doing some reading on this, I was actually surprised that there are a lot of people who believe that Satan maybe actually created a race of people or a handful of people. And I'll tell you, I'm very uncomfortable with that. The Bible doesn't say anything about Satan being able to create beings, create human beings or anything like that. 
And so I'm not buying any of those kinds of hokey explanations. And the reason, quite simply, that I deny any of those positions is because of what's said in Genesis 3. Would you just maybe turn back a page? In Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 20, there the Bible says very, very straightforwardly that the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And so to suggest that there was this other race of people that just kind of, I don't know, popped up out of nowhere, whether due to evolution or maybe they were just created somewhere completely separate and apart from, from Adam and Eve's family, you end up kind of running into a brick wall because Genesis 3 verse 20 says that Eve is the mother of all the living. And so we're kind of circled right back to our question now. If Cain's wife didn't come from some other place, then where'd she come from? Well, I like this question a lot. The reason I like this question a lot is because it's very easy for me to answer. The answer to the question of who is Cain's wife and where does she come from is, we don't know. We just don't know. I like those questions. I can just get right to the point. The Bible doesn't tell us about that. Genesis 4 verse 17 That is the extent of any specific mention and any specific information that we have about Cain's wife. We just don't know for certain who she is. We don't know what her name is, and we don't know really any other details about this woman. Now, in all probability, she probably probably was a relative of Cain's. She probably was a sister to Cain. Genesis chapter 5, as you turn to chapter 5 and verse 4, Sometimes when we think about Adam and Eve's children, we just immediately think of, all right, they had Cain and Abel. And then if you're a, you know, a really good Bible nerd, then you also know that they had a son named Seth. But what gets overlooked a lot of times is Genesis 5 verse 4, where the Bible says that the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam and Eve had other children. And so Mrs. Cain, very likely, I believe, was probably one of those daughters. Some have suggested that maybe Mrs. Cain might have actually even been a niece. Maybe Seth had a a daughter, uh, or one of the other children had a daughter, and maybe the the generations and the age apart maybe wasn't seen as that big of a deal, and so he took one of his nieces as his wife. We just don't know for certain who she is. And I know that as we think about the idea of Cain's wife being his sister, or his niece, or some other close family member like that, we we tend to recoil just a little bit. Ooh, ah, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that. I don't want to think about that. But I want us to remember that mankind was genetically, at this point in time, genetically brand new. And there probably wasn't any issue with many of the genetic defects that often occur in incestuous relationships today. Not to mention, I'd point out as well, that God's law forbidding those kinds of relationships didn't actually come until many years later in Leviticus the 18th chapter when the nearest of kin that one was allowed to marry was one's first cousin. And so, even though I don't know exactly where Cain got his wife from, the evidence that we do have, Genesis 5 verse 4, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, seems to point out that she probably was a family member, most likely a sister. And I think that's just about the most that we can say about that with the limited information that the Bible does supply us. Let's wrap up then with this third question this evening as we think about marriages and how all of that worked in Bible times. This final question was asked by a teenager, and the question is, did people in Bible times date, or were the marriages always arranged 
marriages. Now, historically, and if you were to read lots of extra-biblical records that are that was during the time of the Bible, but outside of Bible times, the pattern does seem to favor the idea of arranged marriages. That seems to be the case more often than not. And when you read the Old Testament, there are even some examples of that very thing happening. I think about Laban. Remember Laban's dealings with Jacob and how he ended up making Jacob to marry Leah? To me, that's about as arranged of a marriage as you could possibly imagine. However, when we do read our Bible, I believe that there are some indications of what we might call or what we might think of as as dating or maybe even more to the point, the idea of courting and courtship. Jacob and Rachel immediately come to mind. They both seem mutually interested in one another in a courting kind of way. Or when you go a little bit further in the Old Testament, I think about Ruth and Boaz. They kind of date in a similar sort of fashion. Now, our custom, when we think about dating, I think we have a very different view of what people in Bible times would have even thought of the idea of a date. The idea of a date today where a boy goes and asks a girl out to go out and eat dinner and to watch a movie and he pays for that and he brings her home and all of that kind of thing... That all comes from living in an affluent society where we have lots of money to do those things and we have lots of options to do those things. Those sorts of things did not really exist in the time of the Bible. But a young man in the time of the Bible might instead, might go to the house of a young lady that he was interested in and he might ask the parents if maybe he could come and just visit with that young girl for a while under the supervision of the parents there within that home. Or maybe a young man, maybe he might just happen to to kind of show up at the well near the end of the day where the young ladies would come to draw the water. And, oh, I just so happen to be here. Well, let's just go and have a conversation while we're here. But I would say this. Most of our concepts and our mental ideas about dating, most of that idea comes from the idea that before you can get married, You have to first have all of this romance, all of this romantic love for that other person. That there has to be all kinds of fireworks and chemistry. When you have all that, then then you know that you can get married and you can have a strong and a great marriage. I want to be very clear about that. Most of that stuff, most of that is an invention of Hollywood. Romantic love is not a prerequisite to marriage. In fact, I can show you that in the book of Genesis. Look in Genesis chapter 24. In Genesis 24, here is an example, I believe, of an arranged marriage, which I would tell you, if you don't already know this, that is still practice and is the custom in some cultures even today. I remember getting to talk with a man uh, who was from India. And the lady that was his wife, their introduction began with a two-hour conversation with one another And then they got married. Pretty direct and pretty to the point. That was a pretty arranged kind of marriage. That does still happen today. But in Genesis chapter 24, what we see here is we see Isaac and Rebekah, and they're getting paired up. I want you to notice what's said in verse 67. This interests me. In Genesis 24, verse 67, the Bible says, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Did you see the the order of what happened there? 
Now, Hollywood teaches us that it has to happen the other way around. That you have to have all of this love and passion and romance and hormones and energy first. Then, then you're suited to become husband and wife. But in the Bible, in the Bible, you can get married and then you can learn to love one another. There's something very profound about that. Learning to love one another. Making the conscious decision and choice to love the person who is your spouse. I know that Hollywood is certainly responsible for many of our ideas about romantic love. And I'm not saying that all of that is bad. But I will remind you as well that Hollywood is also responsible for giving us many of our ideas about affairs, fornication, and about divorce. And so yes, I do believe that we see some glimpses, some shades of what we might consider dating in Bible times. But it's worth remembering that that is not what makes for a good and healthy and strong marriage. We talked about this morning, what makes for a good and healthy and strong and long-lasting marriage is when we follow God's plan, God's pattern, and we trust Him enough to do it His way. And so that'll wrap up Q&A for the month of February. I appreciate your good questions, and I want to continue to encourage those questions. I'm actually getting to a point where I probably need to just about demand that if you've got questions, I need you to write those down. Either email them to me or put them on a sheet of paper. I get so many, and I try to make notes on my cell phone about those so that I can remember them all, but my memory's just not working uh, in that kind of direction anymore. And So if you have questions, write them down. That'll help me out, and we'll get those included. I've still got a stockpile of stuff to work through in the months to come. We spent a lot of time today talking about what the Bible says about marriage and how all of that works. This morning, though, we did spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 5 that likens the marriage relationship to Christ's relationship to His church. And so it's worth asking this evening, are you married? And no, I'm not asking, are you married in the physical sense? I'm asking, are you married to the Lord? Are you a part of His church, a part of His bride, Jesus' bride? If you're not, then this evening you have an opportunity to do so. Ending a little bit early really just affords us some extra time for somebody to come forward tonight and confess their faith in Jesus Christ, to be baptized for the remission of their sins, and we'll still get out of here probably right at about right at about 7 o'clock. So that sounds pretty good. If you're ready to do that this evening, We want to encourage you to do that. We're going to sing this song in just a moment to encourage you to do just that. We're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it is absolutely true. Nothing can wash your sins away. Nothing can make you a part of Christ's church. Nothing can make possible for you to go to heaven than the blood of Jesus Christ. You need that. You need to be covered and washed by it this evening. If you're ready to do that tonight, all you need to do is walk down front and say so, and we'll do it. So let's do that. Let's do it right now while we stand and while we sing.